51 and a half aliens where we talk about all things science fiction fantasy horror and pop culture i am your host john allen and with me as always is my co-host snyder man 501 nick snyder nick oh so much to talk about i know i know i know it has been a couple of really exciting weeks with pop culture we saw well we'll talk about what we saw in a little bit but what do you what do you want to start with well first of all i want to say why i wasn't here uh and you had to fly solo i had injured my back to the point that i could not walk yeah it was pretty bad I uh, was walking around with two canes. I'm doing fine now. Rehabilitation has started. I am walking without canes. Yay! So I'm quite happy about that. That's good. Uh, I'm glad you're recovering. Yeah, because there was just no way I could get in the booth. Yeah, that was, yeah, no. <laughs> and and if, I, if I had gotten in the booth... I wouldn't I have been able been, to get you out. I, and I would have been so strung out on the pain meds. And like it, it mind you, it would have made for some interesting oh, yeah. recordings, I think. <laughs> that would have been some, some good banter right there. <laughs> you, aliens, you would have loved it. Because here's the thing. Nick and I were in contact with one another. And I had taken my pain medication. And I had taken my muscle oh, relaxant. Oh, my God. And I went on a salvo about how great Paw Patrol was. Paw Patrol. Oh, my God. I, I have never discussed Paw Patrol with an adult at length before. <laughs> but that was... I, I I was concerned. I can't even tell you why I was watching Paw Patrol. Other than the <laughs> fact that I it was close to bedtime. And this stuff had made me groggy. And I was living for it. I was here for it. I just couldn't get it enough was, of it it was like it was your favorite television show ever <laughs> and i and i had no idea what i was even talking about no you didn't paw oh, patrol my oh my god and i was i was so sad that the one little puppy was feeling left <laughs> out <laughs> that he wasn't contributing to things and i was so sad about that I mean, you know, and this is relevant because Paw Patrol is part of the modern pop culture. It is. It is. <laughs> it is a very, uh, very popular kid show. If you don't, if, if you somehow don't know what Paw Patrol is, it is a very popular kid show. Yeah. Anyway. And, and you know what? I will say this, that it is a wonderful kid show. I would, if I had children, I would definitely let them watch it. Because it's, it is a, it is a great little kid show. That's the, yeah. Yeah. And you know, like. I've seen my share of kids shows, and some of them are complete and utter crap. So you know. Okay, so so here it is. I kept I kept the the banter, I kept the banter, um, and and I can't say all the things I was saying, but uh, I I just said uh, things like oh the wee little guy from Paw Patrol, because <laughs> I was speaking to Nick who is Scottish, you see. I was like, yay, Paw Patrol saved Flounder from sinking. Belly rubs all around. <laughs> Is that a thing that happens in the show? Like I, belly rubs all yeah, around? No, he gave he gave a belly rub. Oh my he got a belly rub. And he, Nick says, I can't believe you're watching Paw Patrol. He's like, I'm watching Paw Patrol. This wee little guy. Love, love, love the pumpkins. It's like, oh no, bad weather is coming. The apples will be ruined. What will they do? No job is too big. No pup is too small. Yay, Paw Patrol to the lookout. 
this was all happening around midnight, and I'm just like, oh my god, I can't believe I'm having Yay, this conversation. No, yay, Paw Patrol, no apples left behind. Oh, Chase has nothing to do, he's sad. And I'll, I'll, and I'll have you know, everyone, this, this conversation does happen over text, and I imagine John saying all this with the excitement in his voice right now. Chase would make a terrific cop, because he is a terrific cop. Oh, the wee dogs figured that out all by their wee little selves. Go, 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 go! Um. So yeah, that was that was, and then then I then I was like, they all they're they're all good pups, and they saved the day. Such good wee pups. I might cry. Oh, I have to pee. <laughs> yep, <clears throat> I think that's how it ended. Um, yeah, I ran off. I I had to I had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so yeah, that was that was John's. Uh, so that's why I couldn't get into the booth because <laughs> he was busy watching Paw Patrol. Anyway. <laughs> So, anyway. so I, I I saw something uh, recently, Nick. Saw yeah. saw it Friday night after uh, my regular Friday night fright flicks. I watched Dark Star, which is the first movie that John Carpenter did, mm-hmm. first movie that he directed, and he did it with Daniel Bannon, who yeah. was responsible for Alien. Aliens. Yeah. Wow! I mean, if you ever wanted to see the creators of Halloween and Alien fight a beach ball with feet, that's the movie for you. That sounds like an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. You know what? Honestly, it's not a bad movie. Like, Carpenter's direction is is beautiful. The imagery is beautiful, considering it's like 19, early 70-something yeah. or other. And I, I imagine, just just going by the premise, I imagine, although it is a comedy, right? Yeah. Kind of a dark yeah, comedy? Yeah. I imagine there's some elements of it that we would see in the Alien movie. Yeah, I mean, that's the, the whole thing. And O'Banion wanted to do a story about uh, an alien basically trapping a, a crew on ship. Now, mind you, his character is the only one that faces... Oh, Dan O'Bannon's in yeah, it. Yeah, Dan O'Bannon's in it. Oh. Uh, he, he, his character is the only one that actually faces the beach ball. Oh, that's hilarious. That's but hilarious. it's... Uh, it's um, If you get a chance, check it out. You said it's on Tubi? Uh, I don't know where I found it, to okay. be honest with you. It wasn't on um, Tubi. I'll have to check that out because I haven't seen it. And yeah. I, I really do like checking out my favorite director's first movies because it's kind of interesting to see where they come from. Yeah, and it's really colorful. And um, it, it's actually... Now, if you, mind you, warning, if you suffer from epilepsy or have seizures, don't watch this movie. So I've joined this group online and every Thursday night we watch... It's called Subpar Sequel Night. <laughs> now, this past week, um, we did Jaws 3 and Batman and Robin. Now, I only stuck around for Jaws 3 because I have to work the next morning. I can't do both Jaws of them. 3D. Jaws 3D. You know, John, I have seen Jaws 3D, Jaws 3 so many times over the years. At least a hundred times. But I have never in my life sat down and watched it with a critical eye. Now, I've always known that the movie is not great. <laughs> good. Yeah. But this week, this week, this past Thursday night, I watched it with this group, and for the first time ever, I actually realized how bad this film is. This movie has no redeeming qualities. Oh, that's not true. Every movie has at least some redeeming qualities. Okay, fine. This movie does have a redeeming quality. It It has Louis Gossett Jr. in it. It has Louis... Okay, here's my theory. Here's my theory with Louis Gossett Jr. being in this movie. Louis Gossett Jr. was sold on the fact that it's it's a Jaws movie. He did not read the script. (laughs) I am going to go out on a limb and say that the script wasn't even written... When, when he was offered this movie, he just went, let's do a Jaws movie. That sounds like a great idea. 
Because there is no way that he read that script and went, this is a good movie that I want to be a part you of. Know, everyone, I, can, everyone can be proud of this film. I wonder if it was the same for Dennis Quaid. I mean, Dennis Quaid, at that point, he was more at the start of his career. Well, no, so, Leah Thompson, who was in it, was at the start oh, of her she, career. Yeah. Dennis Quaid was kind of known. Yeah, but I can imagine him going, like, his his. I can imagine his agent saying to him, hey, this will do really good for your career. It's a Jaws movie. It's a Jaws movie. It's a universal film. Like, boom, do this. You'll you'll progress. And then yeah, that and, movie Yeah, and I had forgotten that in the 80s, Simon McCorkendale was kind of a star. <laughs> Really? Yeah, kind of. Oh. At, at the time. So we we as the group, uh, when we were chatting, we were making fun of Simon McCorkendale's name because it's Simon McCorkendale. And then we started noticing a bunch of other weird names in the movie. Oh, there, there's a ton of weird names. <laughs> but what gets me is that this is the, the movie with the incredible growing and shrinking shark. Yeah, the shark that is supposed they, – they do say that it is 35 feet long. And it, it definitely is at some points like twenty feet long, forty five feet long, fifty feet long. It it is a weird, weird shark. Yeah. And, and the the whole purpose of the shark. Why is the shark doing this? It's not hungry. It's not a rose shark. It's like give me back my baby. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a really awful, terrible film. But you know, it's 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 the premise is good though because I like the premise that the shark is basically attacking SeaWorld. You know, so I mean, it's kind of neat in that kind of way. It's different, and and, and, and you know, it's a schlocky creature. I'm not defending film. it. I'm not defending it. No, the movie can't be defended. Neat little, just as a neat little uh, aside here, Jack Quaid, who we saw in Scream, and I've become a fan of through The Boys and uh, Star Trek: Lord Dex, is actually the son of Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan. Oh, okay. Which is now now that I look at him and go, oh, I can see Meg Ryan in there. But yeah, that's something I found out recently. Speaking too. of relationships, folks, unless you've been living under a rock, you probably know that Johnny Depp and Amber Heard Ooh. case is going on right now. If Here we go. We are not going to really talk about that a whole lot. Uh, if you want yeah. to see it, you can. There are clips on YouTube. It goes live every day, not on any particular news channel, I don't think. So one of my friends just just as a kind of a thing that ties into this. One of my friends uh, was telling me about a podcaster that watches that watches cases, uh, like watches uh, um, court cases. Court cases. Yeah. Thank you. And they read. They can read facial expressions. They can read body language. And they're talking about Johnny Depp's facial expressions and body language. But the thing is, when you are looking at Johnny Depp, who is a chameleon and has spent his the the his entirety of his adult and teenage life acting, how much stock can you put into his facial expressions and his body language? I mean, how much does he know what he's doing? It's 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 an interesting thing. It's an interesting aspect of it. But I'm I'm hoping that this whole thing wraps up fairly quickly and. The truth all comes out. Well, what a lot of people don't understand or know about Johnny Depp is he's actually an introvert. Yeah. You know, he, he's not an extrovert, which surprises people when it comes to people who are actors. But, folks, I'm here to tell you, a lot of actors are more introverted than they that are is... extroverted. That's partly why they got into acting. Yeah, that's very true. Like, if you look at a lot of the stuff that Johnny Depp has done over the years, whether it be jack sparrow whether it be that dark shadows movie whether it be anything else a lot of his a lot of his uh more out there characters are they're there because he's introverted yeah and you know i we're not gonna say team johnny or team amber that is up for you guys to decide for yourselves i will say this though that i i think that there is a bit of a double standard where johnny depp has 
basically lost millions of dollars in revenue for projects, and Amber Heard still gets to go on doing her stuff. Yeah, that... It's really not fair. That makes me really angry. Hey, Nick, everybody know what time it is now? It is time for Nick's Pop Culture Roundup. Yes, it is. So first and foremost, I just want to bring this up because it kind of marries two things that I enjoy, acting and pro wrestling. So Freddie... Jeez, no. <laughs> Freddie Prince Jr., uh, known for I Know What You Did Last Summer in the Scooby-Doo movies and, uh, you know, she's all that and all that, um, <laughs> has a new podcast out about pro wrestling. Now, for those who don't know, and this would actually probably come as a shock, for a short period of time between 2008 and 2011, Freddie Prince Jr. was a writer for WWE SmackDown. The heck you say. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a neat little bit of wrestling trivia that I, I love. I did not know that. You didn't know that? No. Oh, God, no. It's uh, Yeah, so he wrote for, for WWE, and he's a lifelong wrestling fan. He loves Lucha Libre. As I found out from the podcast... He collects lucha masks. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so he had Matt Cardona, formerly uh, Zack Ryder on WWE television on. They're talking about all this. And Freddie Prinze Jr. is going to start his own wrestling promotion, which is just kind of neat. <laughs> you know what? Why not? Right? Um, so, yeah. Danny Trejo has one. Does he? Yeah, remember, he's part of that... Uh... The Lucha Underground. Yeah. Lucha Underground, yeah, it was him and Robert Rodriguez and a few others. Lucha Underground has unfortunately gone underground. Oh. Yeah. It, it, that was that, kind of fun. It, it's a good promotion. Yeah. I liked it. Um, it might see a resurgence, though. Okay, that'd which be, be nice. Cool. Another thing to bring up, we didn't really get a chance to talk about this, and we're not going to go over the huge details of it. But as a result of the slap heard around the world at the Oscars... Oh, yeah. Will Smith slapping the taste out of Chris Rock's mouth. Yep. Uh, Bright 2 over at Netflix has been canceled. And this, this I guess, doesn't really come as a shock because a lot of Will Smith's projects have been canned. He has lost, I think they said, like $113 million oh my in projects and potential projects. Yeah. And I... I Opinions aside, that's just how it is right now. We're going to keep an eye on that situation. If more comes up, we'll talk about it later. But right now, just Bright 2 has been canceled. A bunch of his other projects have been canceled or put on hold. And his career, from being one of the most profitable actors in history, is now completely in limbo. Yeah. And you know what? Like that's We're not going to talk about it right now because that's just a whole show that we can do all about... Uh, toxicity in Hollywood and oh yeah just yeah. It, it has such a deep dive because you remember a person came at me and said well what does it matter what a bunch of actors say or think right well that person doesn't understand that the, that opens up a whole whack of other issues it allows people to talk about sensitive subjects yeah yeah I mean like th things like that do affect our society yeah. but again that is a whole other conversation yeah it is now, but, <clears throat> but I'm just bringing that up yeah yeah yep now, I'm going to stick on Netflix for a second because, oh boy. Uh, so Netflix has made the decision in the United States to put a stop to password sharing. And they lost a bunch of subscribers, like 200,000 subscribers. There is, they, they uh, predict there's going to be a lot more subscribers dropping. And they lost a ton of value in the stock market. Now, someone asked, someone in my personal life asked me, do you think this will be the end of Netflix? No. No, I do not. But what I think is going to happen here, Netflix has a decision. They can either stick to their guns, which I think is a mistake, because it follows the whole idea within business where 
if you don't make a certain, like the predicted amount of money, you've actually lost that money, which I think is a disgusting practice. And that's where this all comes from. So they have to make the decision of whether they want to lose more money or stick to, or wipe out this idea of password sharing where they're going to continue yeah, making and, the same amount of money. And, you know, it's the same thing's really kind of happening over at Disney where the CEO is just just taking mm. off fans left, right, and center. Yeah. Uh, it's not even with the, the quality of the movie product. It, it just is in general, particularly talking about the amusement parks. You know, my friend Mark, he is a huge Disney fan, and he has said with a lot of the changes that they have made, he's not going back. Really? Yeah. Oh, geez. And sticking to Disney, uh, so like even looking at Disney Plus, looking at Prime, looking at other ones like Shudder and whatnot, uh, Paramount Plus, these are all, these companies are all going to be watching the way Netflix handles this. And we could see a really big change in how we stream or no change at all. So there's that. Uh, now, another thing going forward, uh, we brought up Johnny Depp earlier in... In the case, Johnny Depp has gone on record to say that he'll no longer do uh, the Pirates movies the, for, for Disney. Now, that doesn't really come as much of a surprise because he's kind of removed from those uh, movies anyway. But it's just kind of interesting to hear him confirm that. And you know what? Complete pun intended. I think that the Pirates of the Caribbean, that ship has sailed. Hilarious. No, I, 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 com <laughs> I completely mean that pun. I, I just don't yeah. think that there's any new stories to tell in that world that would be that compelling. And, you know, I agree with you on that. I agree with you. The, like, that world, it's, it's not a, a universal... It's not a universe. It's not a, a huge, sprawling world. It's very self-contained to those characters. Even when it's not contained to those characters, it's still contained... Like, when, they were, when Kayla Scaladario was in the fifth one, she was Barbosa's daughter. So it's still... Very contained. Yeah, and you know, like looking after, uh, going out to find the Fountain of Youth makes sense. Yeah. You know, the mermaids made sense. Yeah. They made us whole with the Will Turner thing. So yeah. there's just nothing else to do, I I feel. I agree with you on that. I think it's, uh, I don't want to say it's a dead franchise, but I think it's something that Disney can put to rest. I just want to talk a little bit about some movies that are coming out. Number one. The trailer for Thor Love and Thunder dropped, and oh my god, it looks brilliant. I loved what Taika Waititi did with Ragnarok. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with Love and Thunder. I, Nick, when I'm already invested in a movie, I don't want to see the trailers because I, I don't want to be spoiled. Because I find that modern trailers tell too much of the story. I want to be surprised. I, I felt with this one, they didn't give you too much, but it's still... I, I'm looking forward to this movie. I think there's going to be some interest. I'm looking forward to seeing the dynamic between Thor and Star-Lord in this. Yeah, and I did see the, the teaser where it showed Lady Thor catching Mjolnir. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm really, really looking. I'm, I'm interested to see how it change, how they change that, if at all, from the comics. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's going to be great. And well, it's going to be interesting though because we haven't seen Jane for a while. Yeah, it's it has been a while, but it's it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Now, and finally on the roundup, we're going to talk about what is supposed to be going back to wrapping up movie franchises, is supposed to be the final movie in the Fast and Furious franchise. And they've called it Fast X. Because, of course, they have. Well, yeah, because X means yeah, 10. Yeah, exactly. Now, I think that they're missing a 
a marketing opportunity in this one. I think it should be fast ten your seatbelts, but that's me. Fast ten your seatbelts. You know what? Given how ridiculous this series is, I agree with you. It's a missed opportunity. <laughs> they went they went into space in the last one in a car. In a car. I've got nothing. <sighs> Listen, Listen, if you love these movies, we're not ripping on you. Go have fun. I'm sure they're fun. I'm sure you get to eat a lot of popcorn, see a lot of good-looking gals and guys and cars and all kinds I, of stuff. I enjoy the series for what it is. I do enjoy them. They are dumb as all hell, but they're fun to watch. Vin Diesel, The, the Rock, Paul Walker, like these guys, um, Tyrese Gibson... Uh, ludicrous. These guys all are all great together. I enjoy watching together. I love Michelle Rodriguez. It's a fun series, but it is not you know a what? good I, series. I can't. I can't. I know you can. I, I know. I've seen I've, the first Fast and Furious. I think I've seen two, maybe three. After that, I just I I pieced out. To, to to give you an idea, John, the first one is the most intelligent of them. I know. And. <laughs> And here's the thing. Here's the thing. I honestly, I'm not a big action fan. Yeah. The reason I'm not a big action fan is because I get taken out of the movie so easily because I go, you can't do that. See, and that's that's where you and I differ is I don't like, I like action, but I don't like action that's grounded. I like my action to be ridiculous and bombastic because it's fantasy. Like, I love Die Hard. Like, none of that well, no, crap. But, but, see, back to the Marvel movies and DC movies and things like that, that, to me, is fantasy. I buy a lot of that stuff in those realms. In a realm that is supposed to be here on Earth and grounded in reality, it's so much more difficult yeah. for me to do that. Yeah, and I think that is a whole other conversation for us to have. Yeah, it so, is. so, yeah, Fast X, that's, that's coming. Oh, casting news for that. Jason Momoa. We'll be playing the villain. Really? Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. I'm actually looking forward to seeing Jason Momoa work with Vin Diesel because I think those two could play off of each other very well. I would almost be willing to check that out just for the fact that right? he's playing a bad guy. Right? That would be cool. But then again, I'd have to watch all the other movies. No, you don't. You don't. Believe me, you don't. You don't. <laughs> this, this is how you summarize the entire Fast and Furious franchise so you can just go ahead and watch it. Family. That's it. Yeah, but when I asked you if I could see Hobbs and Shaw without having seen the uh, other ones, you said I couldn't. So don't hand me that crap. That's I would little, have to see them all. For Hobbs and Shaw, yes, you do, because the, the, the previous movies explain their relationship. But for everything else, eh, whatever. Yeah, but Hobbs and Shaw looked good. Hobbs and Shaw was good. Yeah, but... It was ridiculous, but... But that's uh, what I mean. Like, I... I uh, just make, anyway. Just make good movies. Yes. Speak, speaking of movies that should have been good... That apparently tanked. Fantastic Beasts and Who Gives a Crap? I don't... (laughs) The latest one, Secrets of Dumbledore, tanked. I don't know who's asking for these movies. I don't think anybody is because you and I were talking about this earlier. The Fantastic Beasts series, it kind of gets back to the fact of losing Johnny Depp. Now, there's nothing wrong with Mads Mikkelsen as an actor. I like Mads Mikkelsen. But, you know, Johnny Depp was the selling point of that. Yeah. You know? Uh, Playing Grindelwald. And now he's lost that project because of the debacle between him and Amber Heard. And it's just one of those things where I don't think the Harry Potter franchise lives outside of Harry Potter. Yeah. All that well. I agree with that. Like, there's world building in 
Harry Potter, but the world building isn't as expansive as, let's say, Lord of the Rings or as Star Wars or Star Trek. Yeah, and you it all I... is very self-contained to this to Hogwarts and this group of kids. Yeah, and and I think the difference between Fantastic Beasts and the original Harry Potter series is that the Harry Potter series had all these rich supporting characters, including Professor Snape, Professor McGonagall, all of those wonderful adult British actors that you don't really see so much in the Fantastic Beasts series. So when you lose an anchor like Johnny Depp, it loses some of its thunder. My first takeaway... Uh, pretty much my only takeaway from the first Fantastic Beast film is that it was a waste of Ron Perlman. <laughs> Honestly, I felt that. I was like, I was excited to see Ron Perlman in a Harry Potter style film. Yeah, I'm but like, eh. uh, yeah, but at the same time, I mean, that's that's nothing new. They did that with um, with the original Harry Potter series where they had um, well known actors playing a character that was basically there but not there. I mean, fair enough. So it's it's not really that big of a surprise. I think to me one of the bigger problems is, and I don't mind him. I know you have your problems with him, but Eddie Redmayne is just not that compelling in these movies to be the star. Eddie Redmayne, yeah, like you and I have discussed this before the podcast and off off air and all that. I don't like Eddie Redmayne. I I find him. Dry. I find him dry. I find his performance just lacking. I'm just not a a fan. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting because when you see him in something like his Oscar-winning role where he played Stephen Hawking or the Danish girl, he's quite compelling. I I haven't seen those movies, but... I know the movie that completely turned me off of him, and that was Jupiter Ascending. That was just a strange movie, and he played a strange character, and I just... I didn't like him in it. Yeah, I haven't seen Jupiter Ascending, so I can't comment on that. Don't do that. Speaking of Fantastic Beasts and where to find them, that brings us to our main topic, Creature Features. Creature Features. Oh, folks, if you have not seen some of these Creature Features, we suggest that you do. Now, a Creature Feature, I guess, is a subgenre of the horror sci-fi genre. Yeah, yeah. It started probably back in the 50s in earnest. There's probably ones that happened before the 50s yeah but really it was the 1950s where these things started in earnest so nick and i have compiled a few movies that we want to talk about that we think are some really nice creature features that you should see or at least fun to watch yeah and we're going to leave out some of the obvious ones like the creature from the black lagoon jaws yeah because you're already aware of them yeah so i'm going to start off with one of my all-time favorite kind of gremlin alien knockoff films okay critters i love critters Critters is so good uh well i mean it's fun but i wouldn't uh, say the franchise as a whole isn't good the first movie's good the second movie's a credible follow-up the third movie has leonardo dicaprio as a young boy <laughs> that's about it so the first one though the idea is these these creatures who are actually intergalactic criminals somehow come to earth and wreak havoc in a small town very similar to gremlins it for the time well even for the time the effects aren't great but they use great little puppets in it they're a lot of fun it's got a young uh, billy zane in it it's got D. Wallace, D. Is, in Wallace it. is in it. Um, if you're a fan of the Orville, the the pilot from the Orville is in it as a young boy. <laughs> but it's, it's it's a ton of fun. It's it's a little bit gorier. It's not as I would say family friendly as Gremlins is, as it does tend to skew more horror and more gory. But it's still a lot of fun. I've always enjoyed it, even since I was a little kid. 
I do have a soft spot in my heart for the sequels because they're nostalgia to me. The newest one that came out a couple years ago was terrible. I will say that right now. Don't but it had that. D. Wallace in it. It did. And, you know, D. Wallace has done, especially in the 80s, she was in The Howling, she was in Cujo, like she was in so many awesome little creature feature horror films. Yeah, and she's one of those scream queens that a lot of people tend to forget because Jamie Lee Curtis was the first one that originated that scream queen career identity. And one of my favorite creature features actually does star D. Wallace, and that is Cujo, based on the Stephen King novel. Cujo Cujo is a really, really good film. I watched it a few months back, and it's such a gutturally frightening film because it's really steeped in reality because you can see that kind of thing happening with a rabid dog. It is one of the Stephen King books that is actually grounded in that kind of reality, you know, kind of the way that misery is somewhat grounded in reality. Yeah. In the fact that these, you could see it happening. You could see a person being trapped in a car by a rabid dog. Yeah. Now, the the problem is it doesn't work so well modernly because we all have cell phones. Yeah, that wouldn't back in the day when they didn't, and you have this uh, woman who is trapped not only by the dog, but in the circumstance, in the heat of the summertime, with her child in this car, and the heat is slowly dehydrating and killing them. Yeah. So it's, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Yeah. And what a rough movie to make. Yeah. Like, it, it's such a, it's, I love it because it has that kind of grimy feel to it. Because, like, when you look at the dog, it's all dirty and muddy and they're stuck in this, 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 this parking spot. That is covered, that is surrounded by mud. Yeah, and, and there's the pus and the drool. Yeah, and... oh, it's such a gross-looking film, and all of the like, all the deaths in it are so savage. Yeah, and so so visceral. And then you have that wonderful trope where the police officer shows up, but Cujo kills the police officer. Yeah. And we always know that the reason that police officers generally get killed in these movies is because law and order is now dead and chaos can, can reign. Free. Yep. I, it's such a good movie. I, I, one of the things I like about the movie was looking into how it was made Yeah, and realizing that some of the shots of the rabid dog is a guy in a suit. Yeah, and you know, it's virtually seamless. You can't really tell. Yeah, like that's the thing. Watching the movie, I had no idea that any of the shots were a guy in a suit because it just doesn't look it. I mean, when you see the pictures of the back, the, the backstage stuff, like off screen and all that, yeah, okay, I can see it. But the way they shot it, and that's the really neat thing. It's obviously not a huge, high budget film, but the way it was shot, the way it was made, they did the best they could with what they had, and it works. Yeah, and it probably makes sense. Like, the, there's the scene where the dog gets right up on D. Wallace. That's probably the guy in the suit. Probably. I would think this, the, the scenes where the dog is right up, up on the, the car, actually, I know some of the scenes when the dog is right up on the car because I saw the pictures, is the guy in a suit. Yeah. So, for whatever reason, but you know what? It's still a fantastic film. It's uh, a nice snapshot of the era. Yeah. And I uh, highly, highly recommend it. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, moving on, what's your first choice? My first choice is one that stars William Shatner, Captain Kirk oh. himself. It's one of the best arachnid movies you can see. Kingdom of the Spiders, made back in uh, late 70s, early 80s, I believe. Really? Yeah. Kingdom of the Spiders. If you're not familiar with it, it's basically... Uh, 
William Shatner plays a veterinarian. His uh, brother has passed away, so he's looking after his brother's wife and his niece. Um, and the town gets overrun by these very poisonous tarantulas. Interesting. You know, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing with spider films, because spiders already, by default, are scary to a lot of people out there. Yeah, there's a lot of triggering, there's a lot of emotional responses that people have to them. I remember when I was much younger, the other kids talking about arachnophobia and how scary it was. I'll be honest with you, I've never been a person that's scared of spiders, they don't bother me. Uh, when I saw Arachnophobia the first time, I was like, it was a good film. I enjoyed it. Love John Goodman in it. But it didn't really scare me the way other others scared others. And I don't think it was really meant to be scary. But when you're younger, like you said about Gremlins being a family film, when, I, when it first came out, it was not considered a family film. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. But the, the thing with spider films, and you can, you can see how they kind of evolve over time, especially with arachnophobia, because arachnophobia, the, the spiders that they used in that were very realistic to the point I'm pretty sure they probably used some real spiders on set. Well, I, I can tell you in Kingdom of the Spiders, which we are talking about here, all the spiders were real. Of course they were. Well, I mean, that that's kind of the thing. When you look at some of the older um, creature features like that, Going all the way back to the 50s, all the way up to the 80s, a lot of the times they use forced perspective on a lot of the animals for, like, when they did giant animals. I remember watching one where they used, I can't remember what the monster was meant to be, but it was essentially the shadow of a, a lobster claw. <laughs> and it was uh, absolutely ridiculous. But that's the thing that they do. They did. But, but let me tell you something. I, I realize that people like to make fun of William Shatner or or spoof him or, or tease him about his acting style. It really works very well in Kingdom of the Spiders. It shows um, a great range that he has. He's Yes, he's still Captain Kirk-like. Yeah. But he plays, um, he plays, I think the name, I think his character's name is Brick. Uh, don't quote me on that. It's either Brick or Brock, one of those things. Um, and he plays it really well. And there is this scene towards the climax of the movie where he has to go down in the basement. They're all trapped in this lodge. And he has to go down in the basement um, to uh, change um, a fuse or something like that. Right. And he just gets covered with the spiders and having to crawl up the stairs. Now, this is where William Shatner's style of acting comes in really handy. Because he portrays that agony really well. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing is, William Shatner is a classically trained Shakespearean actor. And he is, first and foremost, a stage actor. And that's always been kind of the thing with him. A lot of his, a lot of the stuff that he does. I mean, never mind the whole pausing between sentences. A lot of the movements that he does, that he did in the original Star Trek TV series were very big movements that would have been made for stage as opposed to television. And I think that's what a lot of people tend to forget. Yeah. And, you know, that was also the style of the time, too. I mean, there's a certain camp value yeah. to the original Star Trek. Yeah. Um, but not only that, but I mean, that has been related to and called Shakespeare in space by some people. Yeah. yeah and that makes uh, sense. So, yeah, I mean, Kingdom of the Spiders, to me, is just one of those. It's, it's probably like the first great arachnid movie outside of the 50s where you had Tarantula. Yeah. And, you know, it all... It all gave birth to movies like Arachnophobia and Eight-Legged Freaks, which I love. Yeah. 
That's basically gremlins with spiders. I love it. You know, I love eight-legged freaks, especially especially because, you know, it, it has people that weren't stars yet. Yeah, Scarlett Johansson was in it. Yeah, but they, they she did a great job, and uh, David Arquette did a great job. And I just, it's, it's getting back to that unbelievable thing. Yeah. But in something like Eight-Legged Freaks, I can buy the unbelievability. But I love that scene where all the kids are on their motocrosses and they're right? jumping through the desert, and he just, like, kicks the spider away. Yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoyed that film. Um, it, it had a lot to... I, I felt its DNA was more with Gremlins, more with Tremors, than it was those old spider movies, but it wouldn't exist without those old and spider And speaking movies. of Creepy Crawlies, next, what is next on your list? Well, I just mentioned it. Tremors. <laughs> oh my god, I love Tremors. Okay, so... With the original Tremors, it is... It's a universal film, and universal... Universal Films ha- has always done creature features exceptionally well. Universal does monsters very yes, well. Yes, they do. They do. And the original Except Tremors... Except for the, the mummy with Tom Cruise. <laughs> less of that one. Um, <laughs> oh, you know, we could probably do an entire episode on the we dark. We probably could, but let's, yeah, let's not get, let's get not sidetracked here. The dark universe. Okay, so Tremors is uh, about a small town in Nevada called Perfection. Is it even a town? Yeah, it's a tiny little village. Um, is it even a village it's that small? It's, it's barely it's a, a hamlet. It's an intersection somewhere <laughs> in Nevada. Okay. It has a so, store and a couple houses. <laughs> yeah, basically. So what happens is this little tiny one-horse town is inundated with these giant sandworms that they... Eventually called Graboids, which I think is the greatest name in monster history. Um, it stars Kevin Bacon before Kevin Bacon was Kevin Bacon. Just before. he His career took off. His career uh, took off with Footloose. So he, Kevin Bacon was really well known. Oh, was for, it? Well, okay. Yeah, he right. was really well known for Fo- I forgot Footloose but predated this. Um, and Kevin, Kevin Bacon has an interesting history with horror because he was... Uh, his first Friday role was Friday the 13th. Yeah. Um, and he, this honestly is my favorite Kevin Bacon role of all time is Val. Because he's just so vastly different and so vastly wild compared to a lot of his other roles. Yeah, he's perfect for it. And he and Fred, uh, Fred Ward. Fred Ward. Fred, Fred Ward. Ward, like, play off each other so well. They're so good. Like, it's sad that they didn't do other movies together because they were so good together. Yeah, and you know, you got uh, John Grossman. As, yeah, as, John Gross. Yep. And, um, as Bert. Yeah, and you have Reba McIntyre Reba as his McIntyre, wife. And she yeah. does a really great job in that. Yep, I really like yep. watching her doing yep. that. Um, such a good film. The effects in it are fantastic. You and they what? still yes. hold up. You know what? Even like I, I mentioned about Cujo not holding up because it's got uh, cell phones and everything. But in this desert, wherever they are, you, would, surrounded, not, you yeah. would have no reception. They're, they're surrounded by mountains. They, they, so like, this movie actually stands up. It stands the test of time. If you watch it now, it's almost like it was made yesterday. It looks so good. That's the thing. It looks... It doesn't look like... When when you look at early 90s movies, late 80s movies, they have this very specific look and feel to them. But Universal movies that were made in the early 90s, they don't. If you look at Jurassic Park, if you look at Child's Play 2, if you look at Tremors, they look... They they look like they're part of the time, but they also look very modern in, in the way that they're filmed. Yeah, I'll give you Jurassic Park and Tremors. I'm not so sure I can go there with uh, Child's Play. 
But Child's Play 2 specifically. Yeah, yeah I, I don't think I can go quite there with it. That does look very dated to me. Um, Jurassic Park is just kind of starting to. But even as such, the special effects hold up really well in Jurassic Park. I believe they do. But I, the reason that the special effects in Jurassic Park... And this, this goes to, towards why Tremors still holds up. The CGI in Jurassic Park is used very, very sparingly. Very sparingly. A lot of it is animatronics. And that's what I really wish Hollywood... Movies like Tremors, movies like, movies like Jurassic Park make me wish Hollywood would get back to using practical effects because they hold up. Yeah. And could you, if they funneled the money that they funneled into CGI, into practical effects, could you imagine the type of things they could do? And with Tremors, it's very Jaws-like. Yeah. And the fact that you don't see the graboid full on all the time. You'll see like the tentacles coming out, reaching for things. Well, you'll see, you'll see the, you'll see the Tasmanian devil effect of the, oh, the sand that. going through, that. you know? And that's a really neat thing. When we, when we're first introduced to the monster in this film, we're meant to believe that the tentacle is the monster because the tentacle has a mouth. And it's got, it looks like it has horns and stuff. It looks like the, that's the monster. And then we kind see of later on. From Alien. And then we see later on, that ain't the monster. Now, the series overall, I enjoy the series overall. It gets a little ridiculous. Like later on, the, in like the sixth movie, you find out that the tentacles can detach and. Yeah. Yeah, it gets silly, but it's fun. The first one, the second one, fantastic little horror films. They get a little bit sillier as the third one goes along with like the ass blasters and stuff, but whatever. The I haven't enjoyed. I don't enjoy a lot of direct to DVD stuff. You're a little more on that for me. I'll yeah. just take the original movie and leave it at that. But for the original film, it has a great cast. It's got a good, tight little story. They don't try to overcomplicate things. The monsters are bad ass yeah and they are brilliant and sticking with things that happen in the desert i'm gonna go way back to them oh what a great movie this is them is is uh, again it's getting back to the idea of the uh, atomic age in the 1950s that kind of started all these creature features you know godzilla and, yep. and the bet and it starts off with them finding a little girl played by natalie woods just kind of wandering the desert completely shocked she is uh, in shock. They find her. They can't figure out what, what has happened to her, where, why she's just wandering out in the desert by herself. They don't know where her parents are. Come to find out that there are giant insects out there attacking people. Now, I have not seen them. You need to see them. I will see it at some point. Is it just giant insects or is it giant ants or what are we looking at? Well, basically giant insects of the desert. So, yeah, ants. Okay. Uh, so a plethora of giant insects. A plethora insects. of giant insects. And a menagerie, they, you might and say. And they have to figure out how to stop them. And there's this really great thing because there's a, they do this kind of sound, which is meant to be like a, an insect kind of sound that they hear. Mm -hmm. And they hear before... They arrive, right. them, and uh, it, it's just great. Edmund Gwynn is in it, so I, I think it's kind of funny that you have Edmund Gwynn and Natalie Wood from uh, Miracle on 34th Street <laughs> in this movie. But uh, it's it's a fantastic movie. It starts a lot of the creature features off because, again, like we said, most of this comes out of the 50s, um, and it's one of the better ones. And if you haven't seen it, give it a shot. I will definitely check that out. Now... From a classic to one that's a little bit more modern, 
I'm going to go with Crawl for my next one. Now, I loved Crawl. I love Crawl. Um, I love Kayla Scudelaria. She is, I think she's a fine young actress. Uh, I first saw her in Skins years ago, and then I've just kind of paid attention to her throughout the years uh, with Maze Runner, Pirates of the Caribbean, now Crawl. Crawl is about a, a, a young girl, or a young woman, who is also a, a um, prize swimmer in her in her university. She has to go and get her dad from his house, and there's a huge um, typhoon, not typhoon, hurricane going through Florida. And she gets trapped in the house with a bunch of alligators. And it, 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 the whole idea of the film does seem a little preposterous with what she goes through. But when you look at the setting of what she's dealing with, all these alligators crawling through the basement and eventually winding up in other parts of the house makes a certain level of sense. It's not that preposterous when you really think about it. I mean, when uh, something like that comes through and there's flooding, yeah. if you think back to New Orleans flooded, yeah, you can bet you that, that there were alligators swimming around. Yeah, that's the and that's the thing. Movies like Crawl exist to remind us that it is their world. It is the animal's world. And we're just occupying space in it. Because if something like that happens, the animals can just take over. They wind up in different parts of the... Of, of, they can wind up in a house. Yeah. They can yeah. wind up... A, a shark... Like, I've seen videos after Hurricane and Typhoon where a shark is just swimming down a street. It happens. Yeah. And, you know, the only reason we're at the top of the food chain is because we can make weapons. Yeah. That's exactly it. We I like I like the suspense that is in Crawl. It is. It's a very suspenseful film. It's certainly more suspenseful than Lake Placid or even going back further to Alligator. Yeah, well, okay, but you, like looking at Lake Placid, certain aspects of Lake Placid is played up for laughs. And Alligator is a cheesy late 70s, early 80s movie. Don't at, get me wrong, I like yeah, it. At, at the time, it was fantastic. I love that scene at the pool, though, where they're going to yep. push the little kid in the pool and he sees the alligator and he's like, ah, I'm freaking out and... Yeah, I mean, it's it's got its tense moments. Well, and that's the thing with with a with a scene like that. I can relate to that because, like, I have had nightmares of there being sharks in the swimming pool. So you know, well, everybody goes through that. I, I there's a term for it. We'll have to look it up later. But everybody goes through that where you're in a swimming pool and you think, could there be a shark in here? And of course, there can't. But I mean, yeah. it's uh, it's interesting. But I I love anytime you got like a killer crocodile or killer alligator or it's a it's a fun time. Killer, Killer Croc, and there are other, like Rogue. Rogue is a movie I enjoy. Rogue was Sam Worthington, I think it was. Uh, Australian flick, um, but a group of people that are trekking through the, the, the outback and they get their boat. Kind of pleasure cruisers. Yeah, yeah, their, their, their boat, their boat sinks or whatever. And there's a big, giant crocodile. And it's, it's a very tense film. And the thing I like about crocodiles is that although they are real, they don't. They look like a dinosaur. They don't look like something that should exist now. They are a throwback to that yeah. era. Well, even if you look at like Jurassic World, where you have the Mosasaurus, it looks like a giant crocodile. Like there are prehistoric versions of this creature, and they are monstrous. Yeah, and I think uh, getting back to crawl, I think what they did right in that movie is one the suspense. Two, you are rooting for this girl. Oh yeah, yeah. It's. They they built her character very well from the get-go. Because she has that... There was an episode of Lost that the title was All the Best Cowboys Have Daddy Issues. And I do kind of feel like that about some protagonists where they have the, the issue with their father and that can be the motivation. 
And that was her motivation in this film. They build that up from the get-go. She has a problem with her dad, but she wants to try and deal with it. So the best way to deal with it is to go and fight a bunch of alligators. Well, I mean, she she hadn't heard from her dad. She, yeah. was, uh, she was afraid that he wasn't getting out of the hurricane. I mean, yeah. the, the hurricane is the MacGuffin of it all. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not... So, I mean, of course they have it, issues because they need to have conflict. Yeah. But the, that, but the, the driving force was rescuing her dad. Yeah. but the, And that's, that's, the, that's the whole thing with the film. I mean... The crocodiles and the hurricane are superfluous. This is a story about a daughter and her father. Yeah. And what she has to do. She has to, she becomes the protector when her dad had not been properly filling that role in her life. Right. So it brings them together. And if you watch the climax, you can really see that. Yeah. Uh, speaking of realistic animals, mm-hmm. I'm going to go, my next one I'm going to talk about is Grizzly. Grizzly. Grizzly is one of those movies that came out after the success of Jaws. They wanted yeah. their, their next Jaws, if you will. And what better thing to do than to take a grizzly bear, uh, just attacking a, a town and, uh, coming out of the national parks. It's, it's a savage kind of movie in a way. Is it? Yeah, it really is. Like, is it as good as Jaws? No. But there is a real kind of gorilla style shooting to this movie and using the bear in a, in a fantastic way of suspense, of horror, of, mm-hmm. of, of scares that just makes this a wonderful movie that has kind of fallen into a cult status. You know, it's really interesting because Jaws basically opened up the doorway for his own little mini genre of ripoffs. Because yeah. you've got Grizzly, you've got Orca, you've got Tentacles, all these different movies. But the difference is Orca was actually a book, too. It was actually also no, that's a fair. book. That's fair. Uh, now, maybe Grizzly was, but I don't know. Because a lot of times what they would do if the movie was successful, they would do a, a book adaptation of it. Yeah. So, I, I'm not really sure on that. I'd have to do some research. But, yeah, I mean, they, everybody wanted the next Jaws based on Peter Benchley's book. Grizzly was one of those, but it was one of the better ones. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, well, I'm saying, yeah, I actually haven't seen Grizzly. Um, that's another one I need to see. It, I know the cult status of it. I know some of the story of the sequel, which we won't talk about, but whatever. Then why um, bring it up? Let's, Fair enough. No, okay, we're, we're, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk you, about it? You brought fine, it up. Fine. You brought it up. All right. So, Grizzly was so successful that they were going to make Grizzly 2. Right. For some reason, it was abandoned. Some fool found footage of it, somehow has the rights to that footage, and has created this awful thing that is out there that they say starts George Clooney, which it does not, because he was an extra in a scene where the bear in Grizzly 2, which isn't a real movie, I mean, it exists, it's out there, you can find it on YouTube or something, but it's not an official movie, attacks like a concert scene, and there was George Clooney and a couple other stars that were kind of supposed to be rising out of that. What an awful, awful awful thing we have not seen it i'm not gonna see it not gonna bother with it because i'm not giving that fool my money that's fair so and and that's the thing is like when you have movies sometimes sometimes sequels just shouldn't happen sometimes it shouldn't happen i think a sequel could have happened louise fletcher was supposed to star in it louise fletcher famously played nurse ratchet in one flew over the cuckoo's nest with jack nicholson I think it could have done well, but for whatever reason, the project was abandoned. Now, 
getting back to the original Grizzly, this again is that man versus nature, that we have a problem. What's the best way to solve that problem? They bring in an expert, kind of like yeah, uh, Matt Hooper. Yeah, kind of like Matt Hooper uh, in Jaws. So they're and they track the bear, and it is gripping because you have a scene very much like the the Kittner scene with the kid and the bear and the danger and and the growling and the running and this it's it's fan- it really is a fantastic movie to watch and it's it's realistic as well because I mean if like I'm sure there are situations where people have been attacked by grizzly. Oh, I know there's situations where people have been attacked yeah, by but, grizzly but, bears. But, but but what is important now is that the movie has kind of done a full circle where it's now becoming more relevant. As with crawl, it's becoming more relevant as we see climate change happening. Well, climate change and urban sprawl, right? Yeah, because we've seen situations where a bear is just here walking down here. Bears have been here in the city next to us. Well, crap. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's neat. A black <laughs> bear, yeah. It was up in a tree and they had to trank it and take it out. And Yeah. Yeah. As, as, as we, as, as I said before, it's their world. We're just occupying space in it. And as we move further space into their realm, we are risking all of those really wild situations where we could really wind up damaged speaking of a wild situation nick what is next on your list the next movie on my list is another recent well well another another recent film one of my favorites the meg (laughs) jason statham plays noah and he is on the heels of a giant megalodon shark (laughs) actually two there's two megalodon sharks in this movie there's the the one that they initially kill, and then there's a bigger one. Because, of course, as Qui-Gon Jinn said in Star Wars, there's always a bigger fish. <laughs> the Meg is based off of one of my favorite book series, Meg by Steve Alton. There are, this movie is a ton of fun. It is not the movie that I wanted, but I'm okay with what I got. The only thing I would have done differently would have been... The I would have used the book, the actual ending from the book instead of the movie, the movie ending, but that's me. A lot of fun, great, of, good effects. The CGI is a little. It's kind of the same thing with Jaws three, where the shark changes sizes multiple times throughout the the the, the run of the film. But it's fun. It is a popcorn flick. I mean. You can't really take it too seriously because it can't take itself that seriously. No, but I like the cast in it. It's a good cast. Yeah, it's a really good cast. I mean, I honestly, Jason Statham is probably my. F- he he. Ooh. You know what? He's a really good action star, and yeah. he, I've enjoyed the action movies that he has done. Because remember, I said earlier in the podcast, I don't really like a lot of action movies, but I like the ones that Jason Statham has done. Jason Statham, I would sit here and say he's probably my second favorite modern action star. Behind the Rock, behind Dwayne Johnson, yeah, and that you know that, that's why I really like Cops and Shaw because those two work so well. Yeah, together. Statham has a Bruce Willis quality to him. He really does. He really does, and he's so he's so rugged and he's so just fun to watch. He's got that voice. Yeah, he's got the voice. Um, <laughs> I just made mine sound like a Scotsman, but whatever. I don't it care. was closer than mine. Fair so. enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> At least you're in the British Isles somewhere. <laughs> somewhere on the British Isles. Anyway, Jason Statham uh, is is fighting a 
Megalodon shark. And they do play it for laughs, and it works. Yeah. One of my favorite bits is when he's in the water trying to attract the shark, and he starts saying, just keep swimming, just keep <laughs> swimming from Finding Nemo. And I'm like, oh, that that's amazing. And that freaking dog, that little dog that's in there, yeah. the dog lives. <laughs> I know. I didn't think the dog was going to live. Yeah, I, I love mean, it. The, do- the dog is swimming, and then it sees the shark and is like, screw this, I'm going back. I'm out. I'm out. I'm done. And you know, it's funny because the dog the dog lives, the dog survives. Maybe it was too small to, because uh, it's one of those like little cinnamon dogs from Big Bang Theory. Right. It survives, whereas Robert Taylor, who uh, an actor in it, who uh, is famous for playing Walt Longmire on the, the series Longmire, that man cannot survive a horror movie. No, he cannot. No, he cannot. <laughs> He's a good actor. I want to um, see more of him. I don't know why we don't. Uh, probably because he's of that age where the you know everyone wants those young stars and they're probably stuck anyway he's a good actor i'd like to see more of him um kind of off topic if you haven't had a chance to see the longmire series i think it's on netflix and you should watch that yeah um, it's a uh, it's a good series um yeah, with with the Meg, um, they're actually doing a sequel to it. They're they're, they're adapting the second book in the Meg series, which is the Trench. I am hoping I am hoping that they follow this book a little bit closer, but we'll see what goes My on. My problem with the Meg was this missed opportunity again. I wanted to, they, they kind of showed it on the poster and you were jonesing for it. That crowded beach scene where nothing really happened. Not that many people got swallowed. And I just yeah. wanted to see like the Meg just coming up and like a whale with krill and just swallowing okay. a bunch of beachgoers. Here is the real problem with the, the first Meg movie. It was not rated R. And I understand it. They wanted to make as much money as possible because it's all about the moolah but the meg could have done well with a hard r rating yeah and you know don't go horror light yeah exactly like there, there is one scene in the trench the second book that i really 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 want to see adapted to the big screen and if they do it with a pg rating it just can't happen so i've got three movies i'm gonna start <laughs> gonna start with one which ties into the Meg, which is called Tentacles. Tentacles! Tentacles, again, is a Jaws ripoff about a, uh, well, a killer octopus. <laughs> it is, the reason I'm bringing it up is because it's not good in spite of having good actors in it. I mean, it wouldn't be the first and it certainly won't be no, the last. No, it's, it's got Shelley Winters, um, I think is, Henry Fonda in that? I gotta look that up for a minute. Yeah, I'm right. Henry Fonda and John Houston are also in it. Great big stars in this. Uh, I think it was a, an Italian made movie. It would have uh, been, yeah, probably. And they are selling these awful lines really, really well. And the thing of it is, Tentacles, not a spectacular movie, but a fun movie. It's, you, you, you hit on something there. Um, Italy and Spain have a real history for Jaws ripoffs. Yeah. And I mean the direct ones, like Cruel Jaws. And, <laughs> oh, man. A lot of Spanish and, and Italian films were made. I, and it was a specific producer, too. He was just... I, I can't remember his name, but he was just making these movies 
constantly just pumping them out. And there were some that would legitimately just be the exact same story as Jaws. In the case of Cruel Jaws, uh, it actually had scenes from the original Jaws spliced in. How they didn't get sued, I don't know. But yeah, like they have such a history of that. Yeah, and you know, it's it's interesting too because you can take these creature features, you can take these movies, and if you pepper them with good actors, when I say good actors, I mean like legendary actors. It's fun to watch. Yeah. For instance, one of the movies um, that's a creature feature is The Swarm about killer bees. Now, killer bees was a very real threat back yeah. in the 70s and 80s. And you have these really fantastic actors like Olivia de Havilland, Fred McMurray are in it. And what's wonderful about it is it, it builds on the disaster movies of that era. So is it a horror movie? Is it a disaster movie? Not quite sure which one I would throw it under. But the great thing about those 70s disaster movies and The Swarm included is you watched it to see which of the big stars survive and which ones bite it. Fair enough. And That's... it's so much fun. Yeah, that, that would be fun. Yeah, I mean, was when you look at a piece of cheese like Night of the Lepus. Oh. Now, Night of the Lepus, folks, if you have not seen Night of the Lepus, watch it at least once. It is about giant rabbits. So that, that goes back to earlier what I was talking about with forced perspective because they didn't use um, animatronics no, or anything like no, that. No, and the forced perspective in this is grand. It is a good movie to watch for that technique. And, of course, you know, we talked about William Shatner earlier. It's also got DeForest Kelly in it. It has DeForest Kelly. It has uh, Janet Lee. And the thing is... Like, oh, it, Janet Lee! Yes, you want to watch a movie where, where a famous actor, an actress... Sit there and go, sit back, we'll show you how to take the worst script ever and make it compelling, Night of the Lepus. It's amazing how some actors can do that. Yeah. Anthony Hopkins is another one that can do that. Oh. Now, okay, I enjoyed The Wolfman with, yeah. with uh, yeah. Del Toro. Remake of The Wolfman. Not a great film, but... Not the, the worst. Anthony Hopkins is amazing because even when he is just paycheck hunting... He's still better than anyone else on the cast. And where they made the mistake in the remake of The Wolfman is using CGI yeah. instead of practical effects. I agree with that completely. <sighs> now, speaking of fun, mm -hmm. speaking of fun movies, speaking of of good effects, your next list. Slither. Oh, Slither is fun. So Slither is James, one of James Gunn's movies. I believe it was his first Hollywood film. Michael Rooker. <laughs> Michael Rooker, Nathan Fillion, Elizabeth Banks. What a fantastic cast. And who plays the mayor? Do you remember? Oh, God. The mayor was the guy that played... Uh, it was one of it's one of James Gunn's like go-tos. He played Star-Lord's grandfather in, um, in Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, oh he, was in, he was in Glee. I can't remember his name. Oh, Greg Henry. Yeah, and Rob Zombie's in it too. Yeah. Um is such a fantastic film. First and foremost, Michael Rooker is probably one of the most underrated actors of all time. He is very versatile. He is and he plays a he plays a giant worm creature in this and it's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I saw actually uh, Henry Porter of a serial killer. He yeah. is spectacular in that. Mhm. Mm um underrated actor in a lot of ways. Amazingly underrated. I mean, even uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, when he's having that, when, when he says, he was your father, but I, I, I'm your daddy, 
That is one of the most touching moments in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because you feel it. He makes that real. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he's, even though he's covered in makeup and he's playing this ridiculous character with a mohawk who can control an arrow while he whistles, he's so touching. Yeah, you know, we had a good conversation. I had a nice conversation with Michael Rooker when I was met him at Niagara Falls Comic Con. Mm -hmm. And I said to him that, I said, it's amazing how many of the Friday Night Fright Flicks that we do that you're in. Yeah. And he, he got a kick out of that. And he, he said, you know, you could probably do a whole theme of Michael Rooker uh, movies for a Friday Night Fright Flick. And you know what? I think we're going to do that. That sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Um, going back to Slither, though, the idea of Slither is this comet. It's, it's very, it kind of wraps around to the whole idea of the blob. A comet hits Earth and these little wormy creatures come out. And they take people take over people's minds, and they're trying to take over the world. Did you look at my notes? No. Next movie's The Blob. Oh. <laughs> yes, it's along the same lines. Uh, Steve McQueen's very first starring role. He did a movie prior where he uh, was uncredited, right? And he plays a teenager. <laughs> Yeah, I don't buy him as a teenager at all in this 50s well, movie. Well, okay, but how many... And, but it, I used it as the fright flick <laughs> yeah. on Friday night. Ah, right, yeah, yeah, Because yeah, yeah. the, the theme is it came from the 50s. Um, the Blob, fantastic movie. As far as remakes go, good remake in the 80s. Yes, 100%. Good remake in the 80s for that. The Blob, these teenagers are out uh, making out, as teenagers tend to do. Yep. Nice, innocent teenagers. And a meteorite crashes mm -hmm. nearby, and they go to find it. But before they can find it, an old kind of farmer guy finds it. Now, this is what... Uh, that episode, you know how Creepshow is an anthology. Yeah. The one with Stephen King. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember the character's name. It was Stephen King. Jordy Virgil or something yeah. like that. Um, but where he gets all the, the growth on him from yeah. the meteorite, the moss and everything like that. And that's kind of what that's based on. Yeah. So this old guy comes out uh, because the meteorites crashed. And the meteorite splits open, and inside is this viscous blob, gooey thing like you used to get from the the uh, vending machines that had just the slime in it, and, you know, the kids would play with. And it's very much like that, and he pokes it with a stick, and then it latches onto his arm yeah. and just devours anything that gets in its way. So the whole thing is, even though it's cheesy to look at now, at the time... It's kind of like that idea of Rebel Without a Cause, where you have these kids that are the authorities sit there and say, oh, the kids are awful, kids are mean, what are we going to do? Oh, these kids, these kids, and nobody's taking them seriously. And so you have these teenagers who are trying to warn the town yeah. that this thing is coming for them. They yep. can't describe what it is. They just know what they saw, and nobody wants to believe them. You know, it's really interesting because you have movies like The Blob, movies like Slither, where it it's always a small town. But that's that's the whole thing with horror. Because in a small town, you feel safe, especially small town Americana. Yeah. That's the whole Norman Rockwell idea. So mm -hmm. that's why these movies take place in it. It's just as effective in an urban setting, like with Candyman. Yeah. But... It's more effective in these in this idea of small town America because right. you don't expect that sort of thing to happen there. Yeah, I I buy that completely. And that's if you look at 
even movies that aren't horror movies, like E.T., for example, it's the same thing where it's a smaller, like, I know, I, I think it was, like, a suburb. It's a uh, suburb of L.A. It's not smaller. Was it a suburb of L.A.? Oh, well, whatever. It's not yeah. smaller. Oh, anyway. Um, but that that's the idea. Steven Spielberg uh, always took you out into the suburbs yeah. in those 80s movies of middle-class America. Yeah. Like, you, you weren't directly in L.A. You were in what looked like a much safer setting. And that's yeah. what the idea of a suburban setting was. Yeah, it was time. kind of like when I was a child, my aunt and uncle lived in Downey, a suburb of L.A. Yeah. Um, and, and that's really some, if you look at the way these movies are made, can, like alongside each other, you, you see a lot of the DNA of the blob in Slither, yeah. invasion of the body snatchers in Slither, all that stuff. Yeah. And they you, pay homage and it's wonderful. Yeah. And it's James Gunn is such an interesting writer. Like, I would love to have a conversation with him because his, his, and if you don't know James Gunn's background, he actually worked for Troma Films, which is a independent. I can see that now. Right? Okay. Quick aside. The new Suicide Squad with, um, with Idris Elba and John Cena, a hundred percent. That was a Troma film on a budget. A hundred percent. Anyway. A lot of fun. Like, these movies, I like the original Blob. It's one of the... I saw the original Blob when I was probably in my early teens. And it was campy as all all hell. But I loved it. (laughs) That's the... Here's the thing. It has that one great, pun intended, cinematic scene where the Blob gets into the movie theater where the kids are all there watching the spook show. You know, and it just—it's very iconic to watch that come out of the movie theater. Yeah, yeah, and, I, and that's that's really—and it's a great effect, even yeah. for the fifties. Yeah, I I still like I don't remember. I remember the film. I can't like remember specific scenes of it, but I remember that scene of the blob pushing its way in and out of the theater. Really cool. Really and you, cool. you know what uh, my favorite thing about the nineteen fifty blob is the freaking theme song at the start. Oh God! I yeah, like it's, that's it's that wonderful surf esque kind of sci fi beautiful music that they had in the fifties and sixties. I remember seeing it, and like okay, we're talking late nineties here, and I'm watching this on the Space Channel, and I'm like, okay, this is one of the classic horror films. I need to see this. This is going to be awesome. It's going to be, I know it's not going to be scary, but this is going to have some, a real feel to it. And it's going to, and then this theme song plays. I'm like, what am I watching? But you know, imagine though being back in that era and watching something like The Blob, and it would have been scary. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, you don't know what this thing is, and it just swallows people. Just like the nurse, she just, you know, she gets trapped by it, she falls down, and then she's gone. Yeah. The, 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 um, the remake. Again, great remake. They do some really, really, really cool stuff. Yeah, that's one of those cases where I think uh, it's something like a remake like that where it does bring it into uh, an era that can do a little bit more gore. Yeah. And back then they couldn't, but I mean in the 80s they could. Yeah. And I think it was the right move. I think it was too. When they, like, you have 
the, the, the scenes where the blob has swallowed someone and you see their, their skeletal remains. Yeah. Or you see the, the look of their face when they're first. Yeah. Yeah it's, yeah. it's so cool. Such a cool movie. So, you know, speaking of throwbacks, Nick, as we're getting to the end of our podcast and we've gone through our list, something that's, I guess, not surprising to me, but kind of is, is that vinyl is now on the uptick in sales. It's outselling CDs. It's outselling, um, uh, downloads and that yep. kind of stuff because, um, people like me want to hear that vinyl. We still have vinyl records. I do anyway. Yeah. Uh, it's nice to throw on the turntable, but the younger generation is getting into vinyl because they want to hear it that way. They want to experience what their grandparents and parents experienced. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's kind of neat that that's happening in a way. It is. It is. Uh, it's interesting how, Things that are old become new again. Yeah, become well, the trend again. Like I, I mentioned, I mentioned to uh, my girlfriend the other day, looking at some current fashions. Yeah, some of it harkens back to the eighties. Yeah, well, it's triggering memories too, yeah. right? And imagine these kids growing up and seeing their parents and grandparents with these records and wondering what they they're all about. Because what it is is that they. There's a certain generation that has never had anything that tactile, mm-hmm. you know, where they've got to actually hold it. They actually oh, yeah. have to put it on something. They actually have to put the needle on yeah. there to listen to it instead of just downloading it or yeah, streaming it. Everything's now streaming and downloads. Everything's yeah. digital. It's it's actually interesting because, like, I remember art class back in high school. And this this goes back to when I was a teenager even. the The art teacher made a comment about how kids were with tactile stuff. Yeah. Like you would have, she had these, uh, um, boxes of like little gems and, or, uh, sand or something. And kids would be moving their hands through them. Yeah. And it's like, she, she fully understands what that was, was the fact that, you know, kids my age were growing up with video games. We weren't playing out in the dirt. Right. We weren't having that kind of tactile interaction. So we were now getting that from that, yeah, it's, if I wanted so, something, I had to wait for it. Yeah. I mean, even to buy a record, I'd have to save up allowance or lawn cutting money or whatever. Yeah. Just to buy a Culture Club. Culture Club. That's Boy George, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> Sorry, I'm lying there. I'm like, Culture Club. I was in there. <laughs> Wonder is like, come on now, you you have to have heard of Culture Club. Don't make me feel that old. Honestly, the first thing that popped in my mind was the Cure, but I'm like, that's not the Culture Club. Never, that's the Cure. Never mind triggering memories. You just triggered me. <laughs> I'm so old now. Oh my god. And so on that note, folks, that is all the time we have for for this episode of Area 51 and a half. But before we leave, a special shout out to our number one alien, Don, who just this. Our podcast is like crack to her. She can't wait for the next one. Don, we love you. And before we go, I just want to remind everybody that you can now find us wherever you find your favorite podcast. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, iHeartRadio. Wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Yep. Also, you can find us on Twitter at the area 51 h as well as Instagram and Twitch. Simply put, the area 51 h Thank you for joining us, aliens, and we will see you next time here at Area 51 and a Half. That was fun. Yeah, it was a good show. I, I just love, uh, you know, visiting all these old properties. And yeah. Like that. I don't know people think they can.